Bibles tonight to the book of Judges, and we have come to the end of our journey through Gideon's gallery. We've been looking at, uh, at his story, and hopefully there's something in this that's been, uh, been helpful to each and every one of us. I know, uh, I know that it's been a blessing to me. And that's the wonderful thing about the Bible, regardless of how many times you go through a particular book or, or chapter. You can teach it over and over and over again, and every time you go through it, you, you learn something new. But not only do you learn something new, you're reminded of something that, uh, that's important. And that's just the way that the Word of God is designed, and so I hope that's been the case with you. As we've journeyed through this gallery, we started out looking at the, uh, in the very first scene had to do with Gideon's fearful case. We think about the situation that he was in, and, and not he only, but, but his people, and how the Midianites basically every year for seven years has beat their ears down, stripped them of their goods. In other words, they'd get out and work and plant the crop, and all of a sudden the enemy would come in and, and, uh, and, and take it all away from them. So all of their labor was for naught, and Naturally, all of this is something that happened because they sinned against God. And whenever they would sin against God, He would allow the enemies to triumph over them. And so, and, and by the way, all through the book of Judges, or you really could say all through the Old Testament, but certainly throughout the book of Judges, you see that cycle going on over and over and over again. And so the story of Gideon just has to do with one of those many cycles that are mentioned. So here they are in a fearful situation, and he, he is hiding uh, out of fear. And that brought us to our second message, which had to do with his first assignment. God steps on the scene, taps him on the shoulder, so to speak, and says, I, I've got something for you to do. O thou mighty man of valor. Isn't it amazing how God can see what we can become? And, uh, and you know, even when it looks to us like we could never possibly do anything for the Lord, we, you know, I, 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 never, I never in my wildest dreams ever dreamed that uh, Tim would be uh, leading music. I, I, I never, never even thought about that. Never entered into my mind. Being my son and involved in music, I mean, the daughters, you know, they got all of theirs from their mother on their musical talent. But, uh, uh, but, and I guess, I guess Tim got a dose from his mother. But, I, you know, God sees us for what we can become, not what we are. So God had a plan for Gideon, and that plan not only pertained to what God wanted to do in his life, but, but, but listen, we're talking about the future of a nation and the influence of a single man and his willingness to be used of God. Well, then we saw his faithlessness. Naturally, he, he is shocked to think that God has appointed him to be the man to lead them, as it were, to victory. And so what does he want? Well, he wants a sign from God. Uh, and he puts out the fleece, wanting some assurance from God that God's really in it because the last thing he wants to do is make a fool out of himself. And, and he certainly would have failed had God not been in it. So we saw his faithlessness. And then in the next message, we saw his faith. 
And, uh, you know, that's the way it is in our life. One day our faith is strong. The next day we're, <laughs> we're begging God for some sign from heaven, you know, to help us get beyond our doubts. And then we, we looked at Gideon's fight, the actual battle that went on in my, how amazing that was to think about God doing everything just the opposite of what common sense would tell you. If you're going out against a mighty army, you've got to get as many people as you can, and you, not only that, but you've got to use some proven tactics in warfare. You don't go out there, you know, with a, uh, like they did, a trumpet in one hand and a pitcher in the other and go out there uh, and, and do something what seemed to be silly, and, and, and yet that was the very thing that was needed. So we saw them getting the victory as they followed God's plan. But, but then we saw in the last message the friction that developed. And, and this is a great lesson for the church because the problem was some of the people, although they had taken apart, they had uh, they had gone down and they had uh, guarded the fords in order to cut off the uh, the retreat of the enemy and that was an important project but hey they they wanted to do something else something that would get more attention they you know they, they wanted to be on the front line so to speak and they wasn't getting enough attention so uh, they get all upset and over the years I've known of many instances of people that literally dropped out of church because they couldn't have a title or an office of some kind in the church so uh, you know they would just leave and I, I just love it when someone comes along and says look all I want to do is serve the Lord I don't want any credit. I don't want any notoriety. All I want to do is just serve God. Now, those are the kind of people that God can really use. Well, this week, this week, uh, and we actually could make two messages out of this, but they go together. We're going to talk about the fame and the failure of Gideon. One of the reasons I know that God wrote the Bible, you've all heard that old saying, you know, the Bible is a book that man would not have written if he could and could not if he would. And that's true. Because if man had written the Bible whenever he went to depict his heroes, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so on and so forth, Moses, uh, we, we would we would put them in the very best possible light. We, we'd cover up their flaws. But like somebody said, when God goes to, you know, to, to picture a portrait of, of the Old Testament heroes and what have you, he paints it warts and all. In other words, he shows it as it really is. He, their faults, their failures. And so that's what we see here. God's not trying to hide anything. And so here we see in verse number 22 is where we begin tonight. And we're going to read verse 22 and verse 23 because... This, this, the rest of this chapter divides itself into two parts. There's Gideon's offer to be, to be king and Gideon's offense against God. So notice verse number 22. And then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. You know, it's so true that shame often follows fame. And sometimes the quickest route to failure is to be on the top rung of the ladder 
of success. And that's what we see here. I mean, listen, everybody is applauding Gideon for his part in this. And now he's in a position that they want to offer him the position of being a king. And, uh, you know, that had to come as a surprise, I, I would think. It was a, an attractive offer. Uh, it was flattering to, to think about these people saying, hey, we want you to be the king. You're the kind of guy that, you know, we've been looking for. And so think about the great temptation that this must have been for Gideon because the king was able to live in the lap of luxury. He was able to snap his fingers and uh, assemble an army. He was able to order people to, to be his servants. And so uh, he has all of these privileges and he, he can make the rules and he can force his will upon the people. Uh, but the theocratic government was what God had ordained. By theocratic, I'm talking about God ruling over man. And that was God's intention for Israel, uh, that, that He be their king, that He be their ruler. And uh, as long as they recognized God as the king and followed Him, as the Lord had prescribed, everything went well. It was when man got involved that things began to fall apart. And so Gideon wisely refused the offer. You know, whenever a person refuses to do something, that tells as much about their character, maybe more than what they choose to do. Sometimes we just look at one side of the coin, and all we think about is, you know, so-and-so did this, and he did that, and he did the other. Well, you know, that's well and good, but there are some things that maybe he shouldn't have done. And so this was a very wise decision that Gideon makes in refusing this request. And I dare say it must have been very difficult for him to do that, uh, to refuse what they offered. You know, the Bible warns us repeatedly about the sin of pride. It says, "...before destruction..." Before destruction goeth pride, and, and it can bring it can bring great men down. It has. I, I think about Moses and there in Hebrews chapter number eleven, and uh, talking about refusing what the world offers. It says Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now think about that. I mean, he 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 was in the position of having his grandpa as the king. And so he would have all of these privileges, all of this luxury and all of these things, and yet he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. You see, Moses knew that he had a responsibility to God and a responsibility to God's people. And although it meant suffering, he made the choice to stick with them Rather than to, rather than to stay in the position as the son of, or grandson of Pharaoh. And so he refused, just as Gideon does here, and just as sometimes you and I need to refuse the things that the world offers, because the world has a way, you know, if they can't get to you one way, they'll, they'll go at it another way. And we're going to see that, uh, here in, in, in just a little bit. 
But I think so many times about those that are professing Christians that maybe they're a professional athlete or an entertainer or whatever it is, and they start out good. They start out as Hannah Montana and end up as Millie Cyrus and all of that trash and all of that garbage, you see. They start out as this sweet little innocent person uh, even, you know, some of them bragging about, I think about Britney Spears, whenever they were literally laughing at her because of the fact that she had publicly stated that she was a virgin going to do so, remain so until she got married. And before you know it, all of a sudden, well, I don't need to tell you what a mess happened in her life. Now, what I'm saying is, folks, we have no idea what great temptations those people go through when they have seemingly the world, you know, right there at their fingertips. Uh, we, I often think about Elvis Presley and, you know, uh, there, there, there was something, whether he was ever truly saved or not, that's between him and God and I don't know and I'm not going to make that judgment, but I do know that was the desire of his mother's heart for him to be a Christian. And I do know that there was something within him where he was searching because even when he would have his concerts, then he would stay up the entire night uh, singing gospel music all night long, uh, even after he had performed. And so there was something there drawing him. And we wonder how is it that someone, you know, with all of those possibilities can end up dying from a drug overdose uh, making shipwreck out of their life. Well, you and I can't even begin to understand the temptation that goes along with that fame. And so I'm saying all of that to say this. Before you criticize Gideon, you need to understand he is in a situation that you and I have never been in. I mean, hey, we want you to be the king. And, uh, and for him to say no, that speaks volumes about his character, but all is not well. Verse number 24 now, and I'm going to read on down through the remainder of the chapter, and then we'll put the pieces together. Well, let's read verse 23. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, and neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. So he's got his act together, right? I underline those words, I will not, in verse 23. I also underline these words in verse 24. I would desire a request of you. And notice what he says, that ye would give me every man the earrings of his prey, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them, and they spread a garment, and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, besides ornaments and collars and purple remnant that was on the kings of Midian, and beside the chains that were about their, their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it and put it in his city, even in Ophrah, and all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. 
And there was Midian subdued, thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness forty years in the days of Gideon. And Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had threescore and ten sons, and his and, and, uh, sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash, his father, in Ophrah uh, of the uh, Abizarites. And it came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel turned again and went a-whoring after Balaam and made uh, Baal Berith their god. Now, the first thing that ought to just grab us by the throat is this. Because a person is exceedingly strong in one area does not mean they are strong in another area. Just because they are a great success in one part of their life does not mean that they're going to be successful in every part of their life. And we've, we've just, you know, broken our arm patting Gideon on the back congratulating him for the, for the great stand that he took in refusing to be the king over all of Israel. And remember, it was not just him, but rather, I mean, there was a dynasty in view. They, they said, not only you, but then after you, your sons and your sons' sons. In other words, it'll just pass on from one generation to another. The family of Gideon could have ruled and reigned over them. Uh, in their mind forever, and he refused all of that. But when Satan fails in one way, he goes a, a different route. And that's what is going on here. Because Gideon says, and this all sounds innocent enough, you remember that when you defeated the enemies and they had these golden earrings, and, and because, you know, he gives an explanation why they had the the earrings and what have you, and the manner in which they dressed. and But anyway, he said, uh, you took the spoils of war from them. There were golden chains around the necks of the camels, and they took all of this stuff. And, well, you know, that's well and good. I mean, I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't. So they talk, take all of this, and Gideon said, just, you know, I'm going to refuse to be your king. Just uh, give me all of the, all of the spoils of the war. Well, listen, you know, you know somebody is going down the wrong road whenever their primary interest becomes in getting riches. And that, that is exact. Now, there's not anything wrong with being rich. Uh, God makes people rich. It's God that gives us the power to, to get wealth. There's not anything wrong with that. But there's something exceedingly wrong with seeking wealth, the Bible says. We're never to seek it. If God gives it, that's fine. But that's never to be our primary interest. And, and so you can almost predict that something bad is about to happen. Well, the people, of course, are more than willing. And so they gather up all of these things. And the next thing you know is that it makes an ephod. And I'll let a historian explain that in just a second. 
And this ephod that he makes becomes an object of worship. Sonny, you can see where this is going now, right? It's leading the nation directly in the opposite direction of what God planned. Leon Wood, who wrote, I think, the best book ever on the book of Judges, and uh, lots of historical information. And he said of the ephod that it was a divinely prescribed vestment, which only the high priest was to wear. It was a sort of an extravagant apron covering both the front and the back of the person. It was made of gold and blue and of purple and of scarlet and fine twined linen with cunning work. By the way, that's all described in Ezekiel 28. And it was made principally of fabric, but probably was ornamented, uh, uh, ornamented freely with gold and likely had gold threads running through the fabric. Now, the thing about this is, is that the ephod was to be worn only by the high priest, N- nobody else. In other words, they didn't have them for sale down at Macy's or something where you could get, make the latest fashion statement. Uh, because all of this was designed for a specific reason, and, and, and God prescribed exactly what materials to use and how to make it, and nobody but the priest was to wear it. And by the way, he was only to wear that at Shiloh, and because that was where the tabernacle was, and was to always be a descendant of Aaron. In other words, uh, uh, somebody that was legitimately in the priesthood. But regardless of Gideon's motive, he was wrong. You see, sincerity is never a safe course of action. I've heard so many people say, well, you know, I I know that so-and-so, they don't have it all right, but they're really sincere about what they believe. I read something just, I believe it was this morning or last night, that just made me want to pull my hair out. And, and, you know, I'd already read about it before. I knew it, and I... I tried to warn people, and uh, the last thing you want to do is come up and uh, offer me a book written by Rick Warren. Rick Warren became extremely popular all across America. And, and, you know, by the way, Rick Warren has done a lot of good things. But he has made it his mission now, not just to combat AIDS, which that's well and good. I'm all for that, you know. But now it has become his mission to reunite all of the Protestants with the Catholics. And the article talked about all of the things that we had in common, that, you know, we all believe in the Trinity and da-da-da, and we all believe that salvation is in Jesus. And I thought, you know, a man has got to be a complete idiot to believe that the Catholics and the Protestants, and by the way, we Baptists are not Protestants. We were protesting Rome before Martin Luther was ever born. So, but the point is this. Just because somebody is sincere doesn't mean that we ought to give them a free pass. I I, I can remember in a discussion with some other preachers, and we were talking about the theology of certain popular preachers, and and, and basically two men, I'll not even give their names. Both of them are dead now. Both of them very popular. Uh, One of them pastored the largest church in America, and the other one was a head of uh, the largest 
Christian Bible College in America, and he graduated from Baptist Bible College in my hometown. And and I made the statement in regard in regards to the one person that'll go unnamed that. You know, I didn't really agree with him, but of all of the different preachers that I've met, you know, over the years, I I did. And and, and to this day, even though he's dead and gone, I believe that his heart was in the right place. He was sincere. But that doesn't mean that he was right on everything. Look, Gideon might have been sincere in this. I, I, I don't know. It's not my place to make that judgment, but I do know it was a terrible mistake and I say that because it was a substitute for the real thing. And it become an object of idolatry among the people. The same people that he had helped deliver from bondage, now he's leading them back into spiritual bondage, which is always followed by the judgment of God. God expects us to follow His plan. In Hebrews 8 and verse number 5, where it's speaking about Moses and God's instructions to Moses. You know, whenever God began to lay out the plans for Moses to, uh, to build the tabernacle, and of course the temple followed after that. And it says in Hebrews 8 verse 5, See that thou build everything according to the plan that I showed you in the mount. In other words, God is saying, I want you to use exactly the same material that I told you about. The walls, the outer walls are to be a badger skin. The poles are to be of a certain kind. And the ark is to be of certain dimensions and certain material. And he said, do you see that you make everything according to the pattern? Let me tell you, folks, whenever we think about operating as a New Testament church, it is so vital, it is crucial, it's essential that we do everything according to the pattern that God has given us. You know, you often hear pastors talk about being a New Testament Baptist church. That's what we ought to be. Because we ought to be building the church, as it were, as a figure of speech, in doing what we do, that we follow the pattern that God has given us. And if we don't do that, we'll soon be out of business. So Gideon is leading the people way off course, and we need to take that into consideration in every decision that we make, not only how it affects us, but how it affects our family also. And he tells us in no uncertain terms that it affected his family, his house. Notice verse number 27, Gideon made the ephod thereof and put it in, the, in, in his city, even in Ophrah, and all of Israel went a-whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon. And I've often said, you know, if our sin didn't affect anybody but us, you know, it'd still be bad, but it wouldn't be quite so bad. But our sin always affects somebody else. It became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. So others are affected. The next time you think about dropping out of church because of some little petty, silly, nonsensical issue, you better stop and think about the influence it's going to have on other people. Uh, it, it just breaks my heart. I, as, I, as I told someone 
some time ago in regards to a certain issue, I said, you are missing a great opportunity to have a teaching moment, a defining moment. And people will drop out of church and listen, and the person I'm talking about has an unsafe parent that they had coming and listening to the gospel of Christ and dropped out of church over something that they should have been actually rejoicing about. And they let that thing offend them to the point that I will just go to church somewhere else. You better stop. Now listen, we don't do, I don't do everything perfect. None of us do. But we better take into consideration who is going to be affected by the decisions that we make. And evidently Gideon hadn't really thought this through. So that's where we're at. But wait a minute, it's not over. Notice also that he was guilty of polygamy in verse number 30. He had many wives. Notice he fathered 70 sons. Wow. He refused the title of king, but he assumed the lifestyle. He is now wealthy, and he now has several wives, all of these kids, and people look upon him as though he is the king, and now his vanity is showing through. He said, well, maybe you're judging him too harshly. Well, not really. If you'll notice, the son, I think, was by the concubine. He named Abimelech, and that very name, Abimelech, means the father is king. Oh, boy. that Now it's getting sickening, right? He refused the title, but he's living the lifestyle, and now he has a son, and... He gives the son the name, thy father is king. So it's very easy to see how pride is involved in all of this. And pride has won the battle for Gideon's heart. The one who had been so little and so unworthy in his own sight is now setting himself against the God that made him great. How sad it is to see people in like that. I heard Dr. Lee Robertson many years ago preach a sermon. I was up in Kansas City in a conference, and Dr. Robertson preached a sermon entitled A Monkey with a Match. I'll never, I'll never forget the title of that sermon because the whole point of it was that, you know, you can build a lifetime and you can be admired by others, and you can lose it all in a moment. You give a monkey a match, and he has no, no sense of value of the building whatsoever. It, it doesn't impress a monkey. He didn't have enough sense to be impressed by the great architecture and the cost of the, cost of the, you know, the construction materials and things like that. He'll burn it down. You give a little kid a diamond ring, you know, and 
Maybe cost several thousand dollars. They'll flush that sucker down the commode. A kid doesn't have any sense of value whatsoever. That's the way it is with a, with a lot of people that have no sense of really what is important and what is not. And Gideon is throwing all of this away. And don't you dare, as some have done, say, well, you know, polygamy must be all right because so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so back in the Old Testament, they had several wives, so why can't I? <laughs> Do you really need somebody to tell you how dumb that idea is? Does God have to make a law telling you that it's one woman for one man in order to see the wisdom of that? And by the way, I'm not looking at it just from the standpoint of a man. I'm looking at it from the standpoint of a woman. I mean, who in the world would want two wives or two husbands or or more? I mean, this is inviting disaster. And just because Gideon had accomplished something great does not now mean that he's justified in doing something bad. And neither are we. Because our good deeds never make up for our bad deeds. So it's getting worse. Verse 33, it came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead. Remember, it's appointed that a man once to die. We've all got an appointment with death. It's going to happen. Nobody's going to live forever, not on this earth in this body. And notice as soon as he died, it says that the children of Israel turned again and went a-whoring after Balaam. In other words, the cycle was again complete. This is the very thing that got them in trouble in the first place, and now they've returned to it. And notice that this did not happen after years of degeneration. By that, I I mean that it's not like Gideon died and then things gradually got a little worse the next year and the next year and the next year and finally degenerated. I mean, as soon as he died... It's like the next day, they've got a new God. And like the old saying, if history teaches us anything, it's that we don't learn anything from history. And we don't. You can go back and read the rise and fall of the Roman Empire by Gibeon. And, and, and I mean, you can just look at the the similarities between Rome and and uh, what did I say? The rise and fire, uh, fall of Gideon? I, did I say that? I, I meant Rome. If, hopefully that's what I said. But you just look at the similarities between Rome and America, and it's mind-boggling. And, and, and what are we doing? Instead of recognizing the position that we're in and where we're headed, instead of doing that and learning from history... Man, it's just full steam ahead. It's like we've gone brain dead. We just, we're just rushing into judgment. And that's what's going on here. As soon as he was dead, they've got a new God. You know, another sad note is that after all of the goodness that Gideon had shown to the people, 
I want you to notice something that generally gets neglected in verse 34 and verse 35. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hands of all of their enemies on every side. How could you forget a God like that? But notice, neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, namely Gideon, according to all of the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. Now, it's true that Gideon fell. It's true that Gideon brought a lot of this sorrow upon himself. But now, remember earlier, they said, we want to make you the king, and then, and then the throne will pass on to your son and your son's son, and on and on and on. Well, now something's happened. Remember, they've changed gods, and as a result of that, their attitude toward others have changed. And in spite of all of the good that Gideon has done, now it's like they've washed their hands from Gideon. They don't want anything to do with him. He's dead. His family's still alive. But they refuse to show kindness to his family. Listen, even though he brought this suffering upon himself, it does not excuse them for their attitude toward Others, especially the family of a man who has done so much. I can think back over the years and right now, even as I'm standing here trying to, trying to get my thoughts together, I'm being bombarded by all of these names of preachers that I know who come to the end of their ministry only to have the church to turn its back on the preacher's widow. And every preacher's probably main concern regarding earthly things has to do with what's going to happen to my wife if I get to the place that I can't preach or if, or if I die. A dear preacher friend pastored the same church I did years before and there in Cincinnati, and he, he had a stroke, and I'll never forget. It went on. They thought he was going to die. Well, he didn't. His daughter had to take care of him, and uh, the months drug on, and it went into years and years and before finally he died. Look, we don't have any assurance that that wouldn't happen to us. This church isn't perfect, and it doesn't have a perfect pastor, but I'm so thankful that the church made arrangements that as long as as long as Bev or I, either one, are living, that at least we've got a roof over our head. We never asked for any retirement, never had any kind of retirement, never, I never tried to sell insurance on the side to supplement my income. I never, you know, asked for raises or anything. I just, I'm not interested in any of that. I mean, if God, if God can't, if God can't take care of me, He sure fooled me. Because he supplied my every need. I don't have any complaint whatsoever. But I've got to tell you, my heart hurts to know how some preachers and their families get treated 
by the churches. It's not just a crime, it's a sin against God to treat a man's wife like that just because he's dead or he can't preach any longer. You just you you don't know how proud I am of this church and how thankful I am for this church. Gideon's dead, he's gone, the nation has turned its back on the Lord, and now what? And now his own family is suffering as a result of it. You see, everybody look, everybody loses when we turn away from God. It doesn't just affect you. It affects your spouse. It affects your children. It affects the church in some way. If we're the light of the world, and that's what the Bible says, in some way it affects our entire community when that light goes out. And so God help us to, to be wise enough to succeed where Gideon succeeded and let God use us, but may God help us to not become prideful and to fall and to ruin our testimony, to bring shame upon our family and to hurt others. It's like like a big, bright, red warning light blinking, you know, off and on. That When we read this story, God's trying to warn us. And I I hope we've got the message. The Gallery of Gideon. I I hope I can come down to the end of the journey and be like Paul when he said, The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. You know, in other words, I'm ready. You know, I've got a sermon I preach called Coming to the End with No Regrets. Now, I know we all have regrets of sorts. but, But you know what I mean. Coming to the end with no regrets. Being able to look back... You know, and, and to be able to say, I, I finished my course. What a wonderful thing. You know, that we talk about a life well lived. That, that, that's what the desire of our heart ought to be, that we live a life well lived. And we finally come down to the end of the road and we're able to look back and say, you know, uh, I made a lot of mistakes. I, I, I certainly wasn't perfect. But I did my very best to be faithful to God, faithful unto death, said our loving Master. Let's all stand together. Father, thank You for this this example that You've set before us. Lord, we thank You for men like Gideon and the great things that they've done. We think back to our forefathers here in America the sacrifices that they made and the things that they accomplished, and we are so grateful. And yet, as we well know from the history books, those men were not infallible. Those men failed miserably in some ways. But yet, in spite of them, rather than because of them, for at least a brief period of their life, they, they allowed you to use them, and great things happened. So, Lord, help us tonight to resolve in our heart to be men and women that you can use. Help these young people tonight to learn from the successes and from the failures of Gideon. 
and that each one of them might be able to live a life well lived. Accomplish your will in our lives tonight, whether it's having someone come to know Christ as their Savior or whether it's for baptism or whatever it's for. May this be the night they surrender their all. In Jesus' name, amen.